Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Can I tell you guys something that I really love? Can I tell you? I love food. Food, and does anyone else love food? I love food. More than that, though, I love eating food out, going out to eat. Who loves going out to eat? It's so good. You just sit there. They come up to you. What would you like? Oh, thank you for asking. No one ever asks me what I want to eat. And you order the food. They bring it to you. It's such an awesome experience. If I'm doing fast food, Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is the go-to. And um, I have a confession. I'm kind of an emotional eater. Oh, is anyone else an emotional eater? Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, I, it's a well-known fact that I like to, after a hard day's work, go through Chick-fil-A, drive home, and just spend time watching Netflix while I have my two number ones. And, and life just feels better. I feel, I, all of my stresses melt away, and then I immediately feel terrible. Um, when, we're, when Misty and I want to spice up our dating relationship a little bit, um, when we want to get fancy, we, uh, you know where we like to go. Longhorn Steakhouse, that's right. We like to go to Longhorn Steakhouse. Um, it's so nice there. It's quiet, it's dark, you can hear each other talk. The median age is a little higher. And um, it doesn't have all the Bebe Bobby music that the kids are into these days. And, um, and we like to have a nice Flo's filet. There's nothing hotter than going to Longhorn Steakhouse and in bed by 9.30, let me tell you. So uh, it's just kind of where I am these days. <laughs> um, but we're in the, the Beatitudes series, and today we're going to talk about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And the truth is we all hunger and thirst for something. We all hunger and thirst for food in Longhorn Steakhouse, obviously. But we all hunger and thirst, and Jesus is, he gives this uh, Beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. Everyone say filled. I love that word filled. Um, in the TLB translation, it says, happy are those who long to be just and good, for they will be completely satisfied. The NCV says, those who want to do right more than anything else are happy because God will fully satisfy them. And, um, when we look at the Beatitudes, it's a Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is teaching. Matthew depicts Jesus as the new Moses. He's, he's, it's a parallel to him at, on Mount Sinai. He's on the Sermon on the Mount, and he's giving the law. He's giving the way of how we become God's people. And the Beatitudes confront all the things we try that don't satisfy us in our life. 
Um, A.W. Tozer describes the Beatitudes like this. A, fair, a fairly accurate description of the human race might be furnished to one unacquainted with it by taking the Beatitudes, turning them wrong side out, and saying, here is your human race. For the exact opposite of the virtues in the Beatitudes are the very qualities which distinguish human life and conduct. How many of you know that the world is messed up? <laughs> it's broken. Uh, we live in a broken world. Um, instead of poverty of spirit, we find the rankest kind of pride. Instead of mourners, we find pleasure seekers. Pride, arrogance, resentfulness. All these things are the source of human pain, right? It's no secret that there's famine, there's war, but more than that, if you look in the mirror, <laughs> if you look in the mirror, I think a lot of us would, might raise our hands and say, yeah, there's something, there's something broken in there. There's something messed up, right? Um, we thought our daughter, Georgia May, had a shot to not be broken until of her second birthday. And we are trying to get her saved as quickly as possible. Um, Maximus, he just came straight out of the womb. We knew something was messed up with that guy. And he, he's 10 months old, and we're, we're working overtime. I don't know what's going to happen with that guy. <laughs> we're praying. But the truth, there, there is a dissonance. There is a difference between between how the world is and how we know that it should be, right? There is, there is a lack that we know that is just part of the human condition. And the Beatitudes is, it highlights, it, it highlights the human condition and it gives us some solutions. It gives us some insights. Um, one of the greatest philosophers of our time the, the Dread Pirate Roberts once described the human condition like this. He's talking to Princess Buttercup, and he says, Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who tells you different is selling you something. And so Jesus, he's, he, he puts it into context of the human condition is hunger and thirst. We all hunger and thirst. We all long for that dissonance, that pain, that common thing that we feel that the world's not quite right to be fixed. And we all go our own journey of how we are going to answer that problem, right? That's, that's the answer that all religion tries to answer. It's the problem that, that we all are seeking is well, we know that something's broken and Jesus, gives, Jesus is the answer and he helps us in the scriptures. Um. We all go around looking for ways to soothe our souls. And so that's the question um, that I want to ask us today. What do you use to soothe your soul? What is the thing that you, we all hunger and thirst, what is the thing you fill that need or that desire? I'm going to be honest with you guys today. We have a lot of kids running around. <laughs> and with that comes a lot of pain <laughs> a lot of growth, a lot of waking up in the middle of the night, a lot of doing what you don't want to do. And sometimes you just want the pain to stop. It's <laughs> just like, please, just go to bed. I just want to sleep. 
Every night I'm like, Lord, please, let this be the night. Let this be the night. <laughs> and, um, and you know what gives me hope at the end of the day? 6.30 p.m. 6.30 p.m. I'm looking forward to 6.30. That's when my kids go to bed, and it's all about Zach. From 6.30 to 10.30, it's time to eat, to watch Netflix, to lay down because my kids are no longer trying to destroy me. And, and it's kind of like, if you're, if you're not careful, it's kind of like it's an escape. It's a distraction. Um, at, and if I'm not careful, I just long for life to be just the avoidance of pain, the avoidance of hurting. And that's all, I'm, that's all I have to look forward to is just the avoidance of the momentary pain or the momentary hurt. Um, but it, something like this provides momentary relief, but it doesn't give actual fulfillment. And so we all do those sorts of things. Thank you. <laughs> we all do those things. It doesn't matter how long you've been believing in God, following Jesus. We all have those things. And so I want to invite you this morning to allow the scriptures to point out those places in your heart, in your life. Um, scripture is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It it highlights, it helps us, it helps us to see the way forward. And so hopefully we can open the scriptures together and learn something about God and learn something about ourselves this morning. Is that okay? Um, this reminds me of King Solomon in the Bible. King Solomon was one of the most um, successful, richest leaders in history. He was leading Israel at the peak of its height, and um, he writes the ever-inspiring book, Ecclesiastes, and if you haven't read it, go ahead and read it. You will not regret it, and he, he writes all the things that he attempts to find satisfaction in, so he starts off with saying, I tried education, uh, but it didn't work. If I could just get smart, if I could be smarter, if I could just know stuff, that would be awesome, right? And Solomon, he is, has the reputation for uh, he's, he's, uh, he asked for wisdom, right? And so he's one of the wisest characters in the Bible. It reminds me of the movie Limitless with Bradley Cooper. God just kind of gave him a pill, and it made him super wise all of a sudden. And so I just want God to do that for me. Um, but it doesn't seem to be working so far. But in Ecclesiastes, you start out 118. He says, For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Then he goes on to a big career. Maybe a big career will give him some satisfaction, some meaning, some purpose, some happiness. A career, big goals, achievements, experiences. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2, 10 through 11 says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward of my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. See, aren't you inspired? Everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Then he tried his hand with the ladies. First uh, Kings 11.1. 1. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Honestly... I'm not sure. I'm not sure what this guy was thinking on this one. Like I, 
I can barely handle the one that I have right now. Like 700, I don't know. That's, I, I could have told them that probably wasn't going to work out. I don't know. I don't know where the wisdom was on that one, big guy. <laughs> um, but he tried work. He, he became a workaholic. He said, I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All this was meaningless at chasing after the wind. I hated all things, toiled under the sun. I must leave them to the one who comes after me. He tries money. I mean, I'd like to try some money. <laughs> I'd like to, like to try. Um, like so. But according to him, it doesn't work. So uh, five, uh, five, 10 through 11, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? He had everything he could want. He had all the, the Chick-fil-A sandwiches he could want to soothe his soul. He had all the stuff to, by all accounts, to fill that hunger and that thirst, to fill that void that we all try to fill. He tried it all, and he says, nothing works. And so the question, again, is what are you filling your life with? In what ways are you trying to solve the distant, dissonance of the human existence? Blase Pascal says, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man, and only God can fill it. Only God can fill it. We all have a God-shaped hole in our heart um, to try to fulfill ourselves. A.W. Tozer says, the burden borne by mankind is a heavy and crushing thing. And it's true, we all try to fix this. We all try to solve it. And, you know, early in our marriage, Misty and I had two miscarriages back to back. And there's just this, there's this indescribable just feeling or sensation or pain that you just realize the world is broken. Like, we didn't even have a full child to lose, but we're still there's still this spiritual component that, and healing and a feeling of loss and all of these things. And a lot of us have gone through a, a, lo, a lot of different things of loss, of death, of hurt, of brokenness, abuse, very serious thing. The burden borne by mankind is a heavy and crushing thing. And so it is tempting to want to satisfy our souls, to soothe the pain of the human existence and some of us this morning have really deep and hurtful things that have happened or are happening this morning to us. St. Augustine says, Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. And so Jesus is giving us some insight into the human state of hunger and thirst. And so I don't know what that is for you today. I don't know where you find yourself hungering and thirsting and hurting, and I don't know what burdens you're bearing, but Jesus gives us a little insight this morning, and I hope we can all receive it together. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And so I think in order to understand this and let this verse sink in, we need to understand what righteousness is. What is Jesus talking about when he says righteousness? And so if you 
look in your notes on you version that I know all of you have pulled up. <clears throat> Righteousness is right standing with God. Right standing with God. Romans 1.17, the good news shows how God makes people right with himself. We all know that the world is broken, and we all know that Jesus is the answer, that he made, he's making us right with himself. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet now God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. He has done this through Christ Jesus, who has freed us by taking away our sins. For God sent Jesus to take the punishment of our sins. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood and sacrificed his life for us. And I, I think we get confused when we think about the term righteousness or right standing with God, because I think it's easy to think that in order to have right standing with God, you have to do the right things. You have to go to church. You have to clean yourself up. You have to, you have, you're, if you're doing a bad thing or you have a, some habit or addiction, you're not in right standing with God because well, you're not following the scriptures. You're not. But really, I think that's falling short of what righteousness really is. I think if we're, um, uh, we are made right with God by coming into relationship with God. Um, Romans 5, 9 through 11 says, And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Jesus, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. We are made right with God by coming into relationship with him. So whenever we see the word righteousness, I want you to think righteousness equals right relationship. Righteousness equals right relationship. And that doesn't necessarily just mean right relationship with God, right? Right relationship with God is important, but we also need to have right relationships with other people. In the world, right relationships vertically and horizontally. And so righteousness is also right living on earth. Righteousness is choosing the right way. It's choosing God's way. There's a lot of people um, in our world, all you have to do is look on social media, that have their own truth. And that's the truth they live by. Unfortunately, when you're a Christian, you don't get to choose what truth you live by. And, um, you know, not, you look around today, not every truth, the scripture says truth will set you free, but not every, not all, not every single truth, not whatever truth you have, the truth will set you free. The truth of Jesus will set you free. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And so what is right living? What is right living? <laughs> right, yeah. Right living is, according to God's standard, the great commandment. <laughs> yeah, that's close. <laughs> um, to love God and to love people. Right? That's how Jesus sums it up. That's how we have right living. We have right living on earth by pursuing the lifestyle that God's intends.
that God intends. 1 John 2, 29 in the message version says, all who practice righteousness are God's true children. You have to practice it. You have to practice it with other people. You have to practice it with your family. You have to practice it with your friends. You have to practice it with your enemies. Ouch. It's a bummer. Um, so you may be sitting here today, and you may be thinking, wow, Zach, this is just a great sermon. What's, what's the answer to life's problems? Jesus. Wow. Never, never heard that one before. Um, which, by the way, that's pretty much the bottom line of every sermon that gets up here. But um, I'm a pastor's kid. I've heard a lot of sermons. I've heard a lot of different ways to say the same thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um. But I was reading a book by Eugene Peterson. It's called Under the Unpredictable Plant. And it's about Jonah. And um, Jonah is one of my favorite stories in the, in the Bible. Um, Jonah was a prophet. And Eugene Peterson talks about how he heard God's voice to go where? Nineveh. And Jonah says... Heck no, I'm not going to Nineveh. Those people are crazy. I don't like them. They, they, well, honestly, historically, they would, like, cut people's heads off and, like, torture them. So he's like, no, nah, I don't feel like it, God. I'm not going to do it. So he, go, he goes to, does anyone know where he tries to go to? Tarshish. It's a fun word to know and say. Why don't you guys say it? Tarshish. Tarshish. And, and so he goes, he, he decides to go to Tarshish and he, he disobeys God, right? And so Eugene Peterson's making the point that Jonah was a prophet and so he had at least some relationship with God. He could hear his voice and understand where he wanted him to go. He, he, he had several roles in the scripture in other places, and the Lord tells him to go to Nineveh. And Peterson makes this argument that Jonah could have just ignored God and stayed put. He could have just said, nah, I'm good here. <laughs> right? And Peterson goes on and, and he says, um, he heard that Jonah heard God tell him to go, but Jonah wanted to choose his destination. Jonah wanted to choose where he would end up, right? Uh, Tarshish was a place at the end of the world. It was a place of, you could think about it, it was a place of escapism. It was a place of adventure. And so Jonah has enough knowledge about God and relationship with him to know where he, what he's supposed to do and where he's supposed to go, but he wants to choose where he goes on his own terms. And so um, Peter, Peterson, in, in the book, he says, he goes an act of obedience, kind of, <laughs> but he chooses the destination. And I just think that's a good reminder for us this morning as we look at blessed are those who hunger and thirst for right relationship. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God. It's a good reminder to all of us who've been following him and know him and know his voice and know his character that it's easy for us to decide 
what we want God to say to us. <laughs> and it's easy for us not to open our hearts and not to listen and really honestly take into account what we're hungering and thirsting for. Who's, what's really, what are really your motivations behind the things that you do? Peterson talks about, he, there's higher sins, he, he talks about lower sins and higher sins. Lower sins are like, you know, you don't really want to kill people, it's not great. You don't want to, you know, don't get divorced, don't steal, don't cheat, don't lie. Those are the obvious ones, but the higher sins are sins between you and the Lord that maybe nobody sees. Things that are in your heart. Um, and those ones are hard to assess and that are hard to analyze because nobody sees them. You go to church every week. You're in a small group. You serve. You go on a missions trip. You're a pastor. But I still hunger and thirst for things that don't satisfy me. I still hunger and thirst for other things of God. I have that God-shaped hole that I try to put other stuff there. And it doesn't satisfy and it makes me far away from God. And so what I want us to do today is really analyze the condition of our heart. As we come to the Beatitudes, as we come to the words of Jesus, what are you using to soothe your soul? And it doesn't matter how long you've known him. It doesn't matter if this is your first time in church. What, are, what is the condition of your heart? What is the condition of your soul? One of my favorite stories in Scripture is found in John 4. And um, uh, Eric, Keys, you can come back up so we can have the Holy Spirit in here back again. Be good. One of, my, one of my favorite stories is John chapter 4. And, um, and so as we come to the words of Jesus, I want us to remember this beatitude, and I want us to honestly come to him, and I want us to put ourselves in the story. I want us to open our hearts. And I want you to ask, what are you hungering and thirsting for? Um, the, script, the scripture says that the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It divides spirit and flesh, bone and marrow. And I think sometimes we look at that and we think, yeah, it's a weapon. We're going to go out and kill some people with the word. But that word in Greek is actually another word for like a, it's like a, it's like a scalpel. It's like a, it's like an instrument that a doctor uses to cut dead flesh off to operate and to make you better. And so when we come to the word, that's what it does. It cuts off the stuff that's dead. It, it, it operates on us. It puts those things back together. And so we need it. It's easy to be like Jonah and let the word of God just, uh, it's, you know, yeah, I'm doing it, but, you know, I'll, I'll choose Tarshish. John 4, 7 through 18. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had to go into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw 
with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He told her, call your husband, uh, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite, quite true. Let's skip down. It says, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again. Um, or sorry, go back up. Anyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again, but the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring with them, giving them eternal life. You see, Jesus offered this woman living water. She had five husbands. She was a mess. She was a wreck. She came to this well in the middle of the day so that she could not see anybody, not talk to anybody, because she was full of shame. And Jesus was telling her, I can quench your thirst with living water. But she was trying to quench her thirst with all the worldly water. She was going around to all different kinds of wells, and she says, Sir, give me this water. (laughs) Give me this water. Do you know how, how much freedom I would have if I didn't have to keep coming back here every day? Do you know how much better my life would be if I didn't have to get up and in the hot sun, come and, and try to quench my thirst with this water? She was in a cycle of drinking water of the world, but Jesus was offering her water that would never run dry. Isaiah 55, 1 through 2 says... The Lord says, all, who are, all you who are thirsty, come and drink. Those who do not have money, come buy and eat. Come buy milk and wine without money and without cost. Why spend your money on something that is not real food? Why work for something that doesn't really satisfy you? Listen closely to me and you will eat what is good. Your soul will enjoy the rich food that satisfies. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. I want to invite you this morning and maybe just to close your eyes and let's just take stock of what's in your heart, what's in your soul. What are the things that maybe you're trying to quench that hunger and quench that thirst and you're going around to all these wells and it's like, I'm still thirsty, Lord. I'm, I'm tired. Life is hard. The burden born of mankind is too much for me. I can't do this. And nothing seems to be working. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God and you're like, I want something like that. I want something that makes me fulfilled and happy and have purpose and meaning. Maybe you've been, maybe you're like Jonah and you're just like, you've been at this Christian thing for a long time and 
you're just always frustrated and angry and bitter and striving and we all have a God-shaped hole and we all put stuff in that place. But the thing is, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't satisfy. It's not, it's not living water. It's not the water that never runs dry that Jesus has to offer us. And so what have you been filling yourself with? What have you been trying to quench your thirst? John 4.26 says, You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. And so that, if that's you this morning, I want you to decide today. I want to I hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want to hunger and thirst for right relationship with God. I'm tired of going to all these wells. It's not working. Today, I want to decide to start over again. Today, I want to make the decision that I want to fill my life with God, with righteous living. And I want to make that decision. So if that's you this morning and you just want to respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying today and what the Word of God is saying. You just want to decide, yeah, I want to hunger and thirst for God. I want to change my trajectory. I want to turn around. I just want to invite you to just raise your hand right where you are and just say, yeah, that's good. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Just say, I'm tired of filling my life. It's not working. I'm going to thing after thing after thing, trying to make it work, trying to heal myself, trying to medicate. Yeah, just raise your hand one more time so I can see you. Yeah, that's good. It's so good. Thank you, Lord. And so let's come to the Lord this morning and let's pray together. In fact, let's also all pray this together and I just want you to repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, let's say that again. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your son. Thank you for the living water. Thank you that you didn't leave us. Today I repent of trying to fill my life with all the things that can't satisfy. I want to fill my life with you, with more of you, water that never runs dry. So Jesus, help me in the best way that I know how to follow you all of my days. We love you, Jesus. And God, I just pray for each person in this room that is carrying the burden of mankind, that is walking, that is thirsting, that is hungering, that is lost and broken, that is life is just beating us over the head. God, I pray that you would just fill them with your living water. That right now, peace that surpasses all understanding would come on to their hearts and their minds, that their homes would be full of your Holy Spirit, because God, you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. You came to give us life and life to the full, and so Jesus, help us to hunger for that, to hunger for righteousness, to be people who reflect your word and your character and who you are. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.